Okay. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much, Lucy and Patrick. Let's appreciate our service leaders. They're doing very well. Okay. So like Patrick said, we've been looking through or studying through the gifts of the Holy Spirit for a while now. We think we started somewhere around the end of April and the beginning of May. And so we'll be continuing, continuing with that today. Our theme today is use your gift or your gift sacrificially in view of God's mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, again for today, for the opportunity to be gathered together in your house, for the privilege to sit and listen to your word, to hear it proclaimed to us. I pray that the hearing of your word will causing us a change. I pray that your word will have an effect in our lives. First, that we will be those who hear your word and do what it says, who respond in obedience to your word, and that that change, that transformation that you do and work in us will be a blessing to all those around us, will be a blessing to every place you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, we've been looking at spiritual gifts and that's not, it's not a very easy topic because, um, for many reasons anyway, I'm sure other speakers who have been here before have tried to touch on why that is not very easy and why it's also maybe one of those topics that causes a lot of division in the church or contentions, people disagree on so many things, but I pray that what I'm going to share today, what we'll hear from the scriptures today will not divide us, but unite us. I pray that you will encourage us uh, in our Christian life as we continue to know God, to love him, and to serve him. So Romans, today we're reading from Romans 12, so we've entered Romans at the 12th chapter. Um, so if you've ever read through the book of Romans, you know that Paul discusses a lot of fundamental truths about the Christian faith. I like to use that word fundamental because they are foundational. Things that you can't escape if you're going to believe the gospel, if you're going to be a Christian. Things that are essential to being a believer. So all the way from Romans 1, Paul discusses God and how God has revealed himself in the world. He discusses sin and the effect, the impact sin has had on the world. He discusses uh, the judgment that is a result of sin, the wages of sin is death. He also presents the solution that God has given, which is justification by faith, not by works. Um, he discusses the promises that God has given. So when you think about uh, the grace that we have, when you think about the promise of eternal life, when you think about the promise of the Holy Spirit, he discusses the glory that is to be revealed in us. I think in one of the verses in Romans, I don't think I know, it says that the sufferings of our present time are nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So when we arrive at chapter 12 in Romans and Paul begins to say what he's going to say today, that's the foundation. That spiritual gifts, as exciting, as interesting as they are, don't just happen. They are... There is a reason why. There is a purpose. And so it's important for us to know why God even gives us these gifts. I want to suggest to us that one of, if not the only reason for why God gives us gifts or why God gives us different abilities through his spirit is so that we can serve him better. Or some people would say so that we can obey him better. So whatever gift you have, whatever gift you've been told you have, if it doesn't help you serve God better, if it doesn't lead you to obey God better, it's, it's very difficult that that gift comes from God. So, I'll read through our passage again, then we'll break it down. Romans 12, 1-8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So that is the portion that we'll be considering today. I wanted to also say that the Christian faith is not simply another set of religious ideas and opinions but it's a very practical religion. We, of course, all of us who are here today have the privilege to live in the 21st century. And so we live in a time where eh, people have opinions. Uh, people's dreams are valid. People's thoughts and ideas are valid. And the challenge that comes with that sometimes is then we get everything we know about our faith and add it onto a catalog of opinions and ideas, a catalog of uh, things, ways, or different approaches of life. And so we somehow sneak our faith in there and say, ah, okay, we have all these options and Christianity is one of them. But that's not the case. Uh, because the Christian faith is very practical. We believe that God has ordained, God has designed and planned a way for his people to live. And if we're going to do that, we need to know God's word and we need to believe in him. Because we need to understand how we even receive Christ. Of course, we blandly say many times that I'm saved or I'm born again or I'm a believer. But we, we need to know even how that happens. What is it about you that makes you distinct from the rest of the world if we are to know how we ought to live? So in our passage today, in Romans 12, 1 to 8, we're going to be challenged in regards to three ways. First, in our responsibility to God, in our responsibility to ourselves, and then in our responsibility to others. Simple enough, right? Are we together? All right, so think with me, Romans 12, 1 to 8, responsibility to God, to yourself, then to others. So the first, our responsibility or our duty to God. And I think for me, in regards to God, our responsibility is obedience. Of course, we could say worship, we could say praise, we could say honor, but for today we'll focus on obedience. So in the first two verses, this is what Paul says. There are four, and there are four, of course, here tells us that on top of everything I've said, because of what I've said, all the way from Romans 1 to Romans 11, there are four, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, Paul does not appeal to the people he's writing to to offer their bodies as living sacrifices because the people he's appealing to seem to realize that that's a good thing. He appeals to them in view of God's mercy. Okay? In view of God's mercy. And that's where we want to begin in our desire to obey the Lord. Presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. So, of course, we know what a sacrifice is from the Old Testament. It was an animal that was given in the place of the people who had sinned. They would, very, very, very clear in the Old Testament, you had to touch on the animal's head as a sign of transferring your sins to that animal. Then the animal would be sacrificed. But Paul uses that imagery, but... In our case, we are living sacrifices. We don't have to go on an altar and get killed. But we offer ourselves as sacrifices, which is an illustration to suggest that we give ourselves completely over to God. In a sense, we die to ourselves and become alive to God. So Paul is saying, in view of God's mercies, offer yourselves completely to God. That's what it would read like. Yeah? Offer yourselves completely to God 
holy and pleasing, and that is your true and proper worship. To offer ourselves completely to God doesn't just suggest that we are putting off, of course, many of us have had put off the old self, put on the new self, saying I'm dead to sin, and so we are saying no to the sins committed, you know, by our bodies or in our bodies. But more than that, offering ourselves as living sacrifices means we are giving ourselves to God as instruments, okay, as vessels, as tools for God to work. Praise the Lord. It's very easy to say, I won't do this or I won't do that because it's bad. But that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about not doing. It's about doing. And so we can say no to sin, but we must say yes to God. We must be willing and available to be instruments for God to use us and to glorify himself through us. God is merciful. That much we know. Uh, we know because we see that in the sacrifice that Christ makes on the cross. We know that throughout scripture that we are not consumed or we are preserved. All our lives we were celebrating birthdays here because God is merciful. Does that make sense? It probably doesn't have the weight it should. Now, Lucy did my testimony, which I was planning, so it's not so new now. So on, on Monday at 3.59, that's what the doctor said, God, my wife and I gave birth to a baby girl, so that's a very exciting thing. Do you guys notice I said my wife and I? You ask me what I did in that to contribute, but anyway, my wife literally did that. And so throughout this journey of what they call the gestation period, nine months, we really finished them, as overwhelmed at how much we cannot do to preserve life. We did very many, hey, I'm telling you guys things of old people. Hey, I, I hope it's allowed, eh? Don't go and report me. Anyway, so when you, hey, you guys are still far. But when you come to that point, you do very many hospital visits, periodic. I think every month or every two months, I don't know. There were so many, I lost count. But every time you go, you have a chance of doing a scan. So there's a scan, they do a sonar scan, use a sound. And every time they would do that scan and I'd look at that, I wasn't sure whether I could call it a person yet. Is it a person? It can't talk back. But the scan person or the doctor would explain so many things and we could do nothing. That person in there would move and turn and twist and on one of the visits we went, the, the girl had successfully put the umbilical cord around her neck. Now, you guys, that doesn't scare you. But when you're in my position, you'll know that that can be a life and death situation. Because the cord around the neck means they, are, they can't breathe. Okay, they don't breathe in the womb, but then their heart rate and so many things. So it was a very difficult you know, moment for us. It wasn't yet the end of nine months. But there's nothing we could do. We couldn't call the person and say, man, arrange yourself. Or, you know, let's, let's roll like this on the floor. But there they are, and they're in God's hands. So we prayed, we hoped, and so we do another scan, and they're out. Praise the Lord. They've somehow untangled themselves. You guys don't clap. It gets worse. So, so we go on the last day. On, it's Sunday night, so we go before midnight, then it clocks midnight. It's 2 a.m., and we are ready. Everything is fine. We've done a scan on Thursday. That was like three days ago. Then, boom, Sunday night, 2 a.m., they do another scan, and the girl is back. Cord round her neck. This time, it's even tight. Like, there is no, ah, it's like God. So, we are in a bit of a situation there. We have to do a procedure, and I'm really just grateful to God that she came out well, and Jolly is also fine. But in all of that, in all of that experience, it just showed me how merciful God is. Um, because it wasn't because of anything we did or because of anything we could do, but because of his mercies. So when you think about your life, when you see yourself seated there, you went through that process. Someone had to give birth to you. And your survival in that phase was not based on because your parents were very careful. It was really the mercy of God. Mercy is given because it's not deserved. 
And so when Paul appeals to the people he's writing to and says, in view of God's mercies, you need to have a proper understanding of how merciful God has been to you. Because if God treated us the way we deserve to be treated because of our sins, none of us would be here. But that's not the only thing Paul appeals to. Paul also appeals that our offering of our bodies to God is pleasing to him. Right? Let me read that again. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. Now, if you've ever read about God throughout scripture, you know that God is not, someone said you can't please God. But the Bible actually says that those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so offering our bodies, there's not much that God doesn't have, right? Think about it. What do you think you can give God that he doesn't have? Think, like one thing, if you can find one thing, nothing. There is nothing you can give God that he can't get on his own. But God says that he's pleased with you offering your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Let me take you back to Genesis. When Cain and Abel offered sacrifices to God, do you remember? God was pleased with Abel, but he wasn't pleased with Cain. Not because Abel's sacrifice was well done and so perfect, but God was pleased. That tells you that God chose to be pleased with what Abel offered and not what Cain offered. What a privilege that God is pleased to accept you as a pleasing offering. That should humble us. Lastly, Paul says that it's not just pleasing, but it is proper and fitting. It is a reasonable service. I think some versions say uh, it is true and proper. Mm, pleasing, this is your spiritual act of worship. And so Paul says, one, in view of God's mercy, two, because God considers it good, pleasing to him, but three, it is our proper response. So in our responsibility to God, really this is an instruction or a command that we give ourselves wholly to God. Does that make sense? That's where Paul begins. He hasn't even said anything about spiritual gifts, right? But he's saying, as a person, commit yourself completely to God. One, so that you can resist sin and say no to sin, but more importantly, so that you can say yes to God, so that you can live in obedience to him. The second portion of Romans 12, so we'll read from verse 3 to verse 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober Judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Interesting, he has still said nothing about spiritual gifts, right? If anything, this is showing us in terms of priority what comes first. So, no matter what your gift is, these two are very important. So pride is a sin that is common to all of us. Anyone here who has never suffered from pride, the moment you put up your hand, that will be your first sin of pride. <laughs> pride is a self-exaltation to think of yourself as being better than you actually are. So pride is a sin that's common to all of us, and all of us need to be careful. All of us need to be warned against it, we, we need to be armed, prepared to defend ourselves against pride. Because remember, pride comes from within. And so we said first was our duty to God. Now we're looking at our duty or our responsibility to ourselves. And if you're writing, I'll suggest that our responsibility to ourselves is humility. So our responsibility to God, obedience. Our responsibility to ourselves, humility. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought so Paul here is recommending, and later we'll see in the verses as we read along, that there is a certain level, a certain degree to which you can and should place yourself. We, but we must be careful not to exceed. Let, listen to what the, the scriptures say. The Bible doesn't say don't think about yourself. 
pretend that you don't exist. No, that's, that's, now that's something else. Paul simply says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. As though to suggest that there is a proper way of thinking about yourself. A godly way of thinking about yourself. A sober way. A way that is appropriate, that is God-honoring. So, I said we must be warned against it. My first warning is, be very careful not to have a great opinion about yourself. Praise the Lord. I mean, who doesn't want to think the best about themselves? But we must be careful. We must be careful not to put such a high value on our own judgments, our knowledge, our wisdom, our abilities, our performance, our beauty, our strength, our wealth, our possessions. We must be careful. We must be sober and not think ourselves more highly than we ought. One of the verses in, in Galatians, the scripture says, if anyone thinks he is something, Galatians chapter 6 verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So Paul is warning that people he's writing to and he's warning them and he's saying, there's a tendency, a natural tendency for you to think of yourself more highly than you ought, to think you're better, to look around in this tent and say, ah, I'm better than all these guys. Yeah? Or I gave more in the offertory basket. You should not concern yourself with what other people give. Eh? Some temptations will look for them. Why are you checking what your friends are giving? You want to compare and contrast eh? things of eh? So what did you guys eat last night? Hey, hey, and you do what? You're asking your friends, so where are you going for your 16th birthday? I tell you, you're not even going anywhere. Anyway. So it's, it's a challenge because everything in the world today points us to self-exaltation. We're in a competition. You must be better than your neighbor. You must be better than the person you're seated next to. That's what the world is telling us to do. We are in a pursuit of, I must be the best, I must be the best, I must be the best. And God is saying, relax. Think of yourself in accordance to the grace I have given you. And we're going to see that. We must not be too confident or overzealous or hot-tempered to go beyond the limits that God has placed for us or to desire to show that we are much better than we actually are. We shouldn't desire to be wise beyond what we ought to be wise. We shouldn't intrude or involve ourselves in matters which are beyond us. There are very many verses, but I will... Let's read these two. Deuteronomy 29, 29. So this is from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 29, 29 and 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Deuteronomy 29, 29. I'll turn there quickly. Let's get that one. All right. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says. All right. So it says. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. Um, sometimes Christians are caught in a pursuit for some knowledge. Have you guys ever been told you need deeper knowledge? Eh? Hey, you guys, where do you pray from? <laughs> the teen service hasn't told you you need deeper knowledge. Okay, today you've heard. Anyway, so... In Deuteronomy 29, 29, the scriptures are really reorienting us and reminding us that God has given us his word. If you want to know God, if you want to know him deeper to the depths you can't imagine in his word. When you step out of God's word and begin to have experiences and, and, and encounters that no one can verify, no one can confirm, that we don't know where they even come from, you're stepping beyond boundaries God has set. If God really wanted us to know, he would have put it here, right? He's put so much. What are the chances that God wanted us to know that day he's coming back, but somehow he forgot to include it, and they printed the Bible before, you know, he got there and they'd closed the bookshop. The Bible says no one knows the day nor the hour. In fact, it doesn't just say that. It says it's for the Lord to know, not for you. So when you start a fellowship and it's based on the last day, 
You don't even know in that day is. And you're assuring people. So that's how you guys have heard of Chiwetere. There's a cult in Uganda where people died. Because the guy told them today is the day. So they gathered up in a church, locked it up, and they were burnt alive. And that's not only in Uganda. It's happened in many countries. In Kenya, I think someone made people fast for I don't know how many days, a certain pastor. So that pursuit of things that are not supposed to be for us leads us into such things. The second is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Do not go beyond what is written. Remember I said God has set limits. And so some people in a desire to claim that they are more spiritual than others say things and have experiences that are outside the Bible, cannot be verified, are just their own. Paul here is warning in 1 Corinthians 4, 6 that be careful not to go beyond what God has written. You know, when you know, your friends ask you for advice and say, the Bible says, but you know me, I think, uh, ah, you've, you've just set the Bible aside so you can introduce the gospel according to Joel. It's not safe. So that's, that's a warning for us, that we must be on our guard against knowledge that puffs us up, knowledge that makes us proud, knowledge that makes us depend on ourselves and not on God. Because Proverbs 29.20 says, there is more hope for a fool than for someone who is wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 29.20. There is more hope for a fool than for someone who is wise in his own eyes. Now, one of the, some of the reasons why we should have a sober opinion of ourselves or a healthy understanding or not to think ourselves more highly than we ought, I'll suggest two. The first is, whatever you have that you think is good or is even good, whatever ability, whatever gift, whatever, whatever you want to call it, has been given to you freely by God's grace. Praise the Lord. Whatever you have. Two verses. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from... Comes from where? James 1 17. You've heard this. Comes from above. From... From... Ah, you guys. From the... Father. You can turn there and, and check. James 1 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, okay? From the, from the what? Anyone found it? The way people are looking at me like they don't know. From, from the father of the heavenly lights, all right? So that's a reminder that whatever you think or whatever you find good in your life has come from God and freely from him. So we just read 1 Corinthians 4, 6, so we'll read the verse before that, 1 Corinthians, sorry, the verse after that, 4, 7. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, for who makes you different from anyone else? Right? Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So the first reason why Paul is encouraging the believers that he's writing to, not to think about themselves more highly. He's telling them everything you have, you've received. The very things you take pride in are not your own making. They have been given to you freely by God. And if that's the case, then you can't boast. You can't boast that you're better than anyone because everything you have is not your own work. It's God's grace. The second is whatever you have received in as much as it is good and pleasing and perfect, you have received in a certain measure. That word measure is good or degree. We've read that in Romans 12, that God has given to each of us a certain measure of faith or a measure of grace. Um, and there are other parts throughout Paul's letters where he emphasizes that whatever we have, let me, for example, 
even though you're the best singer, you can't sing everywhere all the time. Right? I mean, your voice gets coarse at some point, right? So even though you're the fastest runner, you can't run every race. There is a limit to your strength. You could be the brightest student in school. You still can't do all the combinations. You'll have to choose one, right? And even if you do that one, you're not going to rewrite the curriculum. Your knowledge will stop somewhere. And then you're like, okay, you did well, but bye. So to whatever gift, whatever ability God has given us, there is a measure of it that we have. We can't think we're better than anyone else because we can't do everything. Praise the Lord. One of the illustrations that Paul uses in discussing gifts, he says, in thinking about spiritual gifts, think about a body, okay? We are all different parts, but we are parts of the same body in Christ, and Christ is our head. And so in another passage, which we're not reading today, Paul discusses it further and says, the eyes are foreseeing, but suppose your eyes one day say, ah, we are tired, today we want to walk. Think about how absurd that is. That it doesn't matter how good your eyes are, they are never going to walk. And that's a limit. So for whatever gift you have, God has gifted you to do something or to be able to do something. You need to be humble because you don't do everything. So in case in point, if the legs say, we've been walking for, what, your 12 years? We've been walking for 12 years. We don't need the eyes. Who do they think they are? We are going. And the eyes say, okay, fine, I'm shut. Boop. Where do the legs go? You just run into walls all day, right? So no matter how good you are at what you do, there is a limit because you're not the only one that God has gifted. And so for as good as you are, you will still need and depend on the others. The way our eyes depend on our hands and our legs, the way your heart, every part of you works together for you to function. And so that's how Paul introduces the gifts. And so I hope that in regards to our duty to self, we've understood that it must be humility, that we don't think ourselves to be the best. In fact, in Philippians, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourself. Philippians what? That's Philippians what? Two? You guys, you have to be a bit more confident. Remember, we said we need to know God's word. So that's Philippians what? Yes, Philippians four. Yeah, uh-huh. four what? Hey, you have guys of two, have guys of four. You guys are causing division now in the church. Yes, first Philippians two what? Philippians two three. Ariana, check. Don't don't guess. Your Bible is there. Be very sure. Yeah? Let me, let's close our humility with this one. I was trying to give people some memory verse assignments. Now they've jumped. All right. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we've entered the realm of our duty to others, okay? So our duty to God is obedience, our duty to ourselves is humility, and our duty to others is love. Because the Bible tells us that love does no wrong, love trusts, hopes, believes, forgives, endures. So we'll read the last two verses, if he's, um, Romans 12, 6 and 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, within verse 6 and 8, Paul lists uh, a number of gifts or Abilities that God, through his spirit, has given his people. And without a doubt, I'm confident that there are other gifts which Paul doesn't list here, but he has in mind. So don't be discouraged if you, you go through a list like this and you're like, eh, I've not reached me. Like, where, where am I? They didn't talk about my gift. I wonder what you think your gift is. Anyway, uh, they've not talked about my gift because all of the things Paul has mentioned, I, I'm not. I'm not in that list. 
don't be discouraged uh, if you don't find your, your list there. But be encouraged because we've seen that in, in all the Sundays before today, we've seen that God first has given everyone, every single... There are many things you don't have, but God has given every single person first the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, God has given each and every one of us unique abilities. At least one. You may say you don't have many, but at least one. The challenge is we limit ourselves to the ones that we see, the ones that are popular, uh, the ones that everyone seems to you know, love and want to have. So let's not be discouraged, but my encouragement to us is that continue in light of verse 1, 2, and 3 to give yourself wholly to God as an instrument for his service. Then it will inevitably be evident what God has gifted you in. Sometimes we struggle to find our gifts because we want to do it our way. We want to, I'm good at, at writing. So you want to start a magazine or you want to write a book. You don't involve God or God is not concerned and you think you can do it on your own. That's not always the case. Now, I want to suggest some verses for us from scripture. There are many, but we'll do a few. And just to point out to us that sometimes we limit our understanding of gifts to the things that we see. So if someone comes here to preach, all of us automatically assume the gift of what? Prophecy. Teaching. Yeah. Sometimes it's not true. Don't judge me. Sometimes we assume they have the gift of maybe leading or something like that. But we're going to see from other parts in scripture, from the Old Testament mainly, because everything we've read has been from the New, that God gifts and gives people abilities way beyond what we think. So the first will be Exodus 31. Exodus 31, let's turn there. Exodus 31. This was at the time when God was giving instructions for the building of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, where the Israelites would now worship God. So in Exodus 31, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, listen very carefully, same, same God at work in Exodus is the same God at work in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 14. I have chosen, notice, not the following people have performed well and therefore have been promoted. No, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him, also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. Wow. Now, many of us would want to think when things are going to be done, they'd say, uh-huh, who are the guys who know how to draw? The artists? Okay, sometime in high school, man, they'll drill segregators. We'll say, who are the guys who, who know how to draw? And the rest of you with your crooked hands. <laughs> but when it came to doing the Lord's work, which we must be thinking we're doing, God chose individuals and gifted them, gave them skills, gave them ability, gave them knowledge. Praise the Lord. Now, before you wake up and convince us that you've been given no gift, first go back to God and check. Say, for real, God, you gave me nothing. Because it doesn't sound like that how God, that's how God operates. And remember, we're even in the, New, in the Old Testament here. Jesus hasn't come yet. Grace isn't available to all men. It's just the nation of Israel. Now, I want to show you something interesting in chapter 36 of Exodus. In chapter 36 of Exodus, from verse 1, listen. These are the guys who we've read about in chapter 31. So, Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability, notice here, and who was willing to come and do the work. Do you guys see that part? And who was willing? 
Now, when you sit and convince us that God has given you no ability, chances are high you're probably not willing. What have you tried to do? How have you tried to serve God and failed? It's a very good question for you to think about. Yeah? Could you stand and say, guys, me, I've tried everything a Christian can do and I've failed? I doubt you can. And so in Exodus 36, the Bible gives us insight that more than just giving these people ability and skills, they were willing to do the work that God had called them to do. So remember when I said that our responsibility to God was? What did I say our responsibility to God was? Obedience. Right? Okay, so let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. This one is very short, very small. You guys probably know it. This is David before he becomes king. Anointed, but not yet king. 1 Samuel 16, 23. David has a unique gift in this particular passage. Probably explains why he was able to write psalms that, you know, are so... Uh, Touching or so powerful. So first Samuel sixteen twenty-three. See where I'm going. All right. So are you there? I will I don't want to discuss this one. Let's just read it. Eh? Don't ask me many questions. First Samuel sixteen twenty-three. Whenever the spirit from God came upon Saul, the spirit wasn't good. David would take his harp and play, then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Did you guys notice the spirit came from God? And it's an evil spirit. I say, don't ask me. Focus on David. Now, of all the things you guys have probably heard of, deliverance sessions and all of that stuff, and it's very, very good, you know, to pray for people and they're healed. In the Old Testament, our dear King Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit. And you know what the solution was? A small shepherd boy called David playing a certain instrument that Okay, I was going to say it was out of tune, but I doubt it was. David probably knew how to tune an instrument. Just playing an instrument. And the Bible says that relief would come, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Now, many of us think about music as, ah, it's just nice to sing. You know, it's a good atmosphere. You know, I like how the drums are going on. That guy on the bass guitar, wow. The electric, mm, That's not what music is. It's not just noise. When God gives someone the ability to sing or to make music, think very carefully that that is a spiritual gift intended for serving God. If you just sing, just foi, your music will also be foi. But I count on it that every one of you could say, at least with some certainty, that there are songs you've listened to and, and you could almost think God was, was involved in that song. You could put your hand down and say, this song has ministered to me, for example, yeah? But not all songs do that, right? And so we see in 1 Samuel 16, 23, that David had, had such an ability from God that just with his music, he could bring relief to someone tormented. Not with just sadness, but an evil spirit. Now, most of us are usually just sad. Your team lost in a final. Your best friend blue ticked you. That's, that's easy to fix, this was an evil spirit, right? So, I hope I'm expanding your understanding of spiritual gifts. Then we go to Daniel 1.17. This one, again, most of us must know. Daniel 1.17. Now, uh, Daniel, where are you? Here you are. All right, so we probably have heard the story of Daniel, but I'll pick up just this verse. To these four young men... And these men included Daniel and the friends that were with him. Daniel chapter 1 verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Does that sound like God giving people abilities? Did we read that in any of Paul's lists? Did you read anything like literature? understanding. So I say that Paul writes and uses a list, but it's not exhaustive because he has in view all the different ways that God through his spirit can give people abilities. Now, in Daniel's case, again I will read, to these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. 
Some people want you to think that pursuit of, say, academic knowledge is not spiritual at all. Those are earthly things. You just read your books and you're somehow sharp. Right? That's what the world wants us to think. That ah, those are not godly things. You're always reading books. You're just a boat. Do they still call them what? But Daniel shows us something different. He suggests that God is able to give people the ability of having such knowledge, such understanding of I mean, if you think math is so high and is what you should know, literature. It doesn't say God gave Daniel the understanding of science and rocket science. Just literature. Just writing. Just literature. And I know, again, you'll agree with me, there are things you've read, not even from the Bible. Either it's an article by another Christian. Sometimes it's just a line. And you read it and it just settles certain things that you are struggling with. Or just brings peace or, again, ministers to you, right? Do you guys think that's just the work of the universe? One good turn deserves another. Yeah? What goes around comes around. No, that's God at work through people. Those are enough. We could talk about Joseph. You guys remember Joseph when he was in Pharaoh's house? We could talk about Samson. Um, we could talk about many things. When we come to the New Testament, it's overwhelming because in the New Testament, every single believer receives the Holy Spirit and has the ability to reflect God in diverse ways. Remember, Paul has said, we are members of the same body, but we all have a unique function. So, as I close, I will ask. Spiritual gifts, now you guys, do you guys also, like, Again, because it's a different audience, in other audiences, much older people, spiritual gifts are a hot topic. Like, hot. In a service like this, we can say, today you're not living without your spiritual gift. Are you guys like that, or why you guys are not yet hot? Where are you guys? Help me, so that before I say my stuff, I don't. Where are you guys? Someone help, please. Where are you? Not yet, eh? You're still coming. All right, so... When you get there, this is the question I want you to ask yourself. Are spiritual gifts so important and such a priority in your life because you have such a strong desire to serve God benefit to the body of Christ or because you want to be recognized or because you want to have the opportunity to stand here? You want to have the opportunity where people love you and praise you and call out your name and say, oh my God, Chloe sings so well and everyone wants your autograph or wants you to write on there, okay, you have such a good handwriting or you're so sharp, everyone wants to sit next to you in class. No one wants the gift of giving, eh? I mean, how much? I... Anyway, some guys want it because they'll come and say, SCP, I've given you 10M. Yeah, that's nothing small. Don't clap, don't clap. So when you get there, if you say you're not, when you begin to desire spiritual gifts, as you should, in fact, you guys are late, you've delayed, eh? the question I want to ask and I want you to have, is it because you have a genuine desire to obey God and serve him or because you want to exalt yourself? Because Paul has warned us, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. So for whatever gift you have, Everyone, whatever gift you have, whatever way God has enabled you to be able to serve him, I pray that you do it faithfully, that you do it generously, that you do it diligently and cheerfully. That's what Paul prescribes in Romans 12. And so, I want to remind us to think about God's mercy, because that's where we began. Sometimes we think about our own hard work and effort that we've put in. Say, I worked so hard to get here. Why should I help someone else? Let them do the work themselves, right? We forget that whatever we have has been freely given to us by God. And I want you to ask yourself, what gifts, what abilities have you received from God? I pray that I've opened your mind, not to limit you to prophecy and teaching, because unfortunately we don't need nine people here, only one person at a time, right? And some people will say, but why? Why are you the one there? We also want to stand there. I mean, the day your eyes ask you to walk. Remember, it's God who chooses and it's God who places. 
And for as long as you feel within you uh, a certain kind of greed of wanting to be where someone is, eh? you don't want to serve God. You want to serve yourself. Genuine spiritual gifts and a genuine desire to serve God are not based on what other people can do, but are based on what God has called you to do. And so while we can look at other people and be inspired by them and want to be like them, we need to be mindful not to idolize them and want to be them. We want to be like Christ. And for all of us, God has uniquely gifted us to do that. And when you get there, I pray that you will use your gifts, you'll use whatever ability you have in humility to serve God and to serve his people. That's it. Using your gifts, using your abilities to serve other people by serving God. So we're still learning about spiritual gifts. Today is in the last day. We're going to learn so many things. But I pray that for whatever we learn, we're reminded that first our responsibility to God is obedience. Our responsibility to ourselves and how we think of ourselves is and ought to be in humility with sober judgment. And finally, that our responsibility to all those around us is to treat them with love, to treat them as God would have us treat them. Now, before I close, are there any questions? Maybe one or two. The guys are a bit humble now, so no one may ask. But if there's any question about probably anything I've said, we have a minute. I'm sure I can take a question. So, and a question or something that wasn't clear, I, I will be glad to take it. Don't, don't be shy, just be humble. When you're asking. So any question, any, anything? Maybe you've had something before no? about gifts or anything you've had throughout the whole month? Yes, yeah. This one is off, so you can. Yes, then. You have a question, eh? Okay. So Esther, first, you can stand up and project. So I said a lot of stuff about being humble, and the question here is, so how do we know where we are? Like, okay, I'm humble, but I'm really a good singer. Should I not acknowledge that? Oh, I'm really a good encourager. Like, I really talk to people and they're encouraged. Should I not make like a poster and say, Encourager Patrick is coming to your school? Yeah? So, there's, there's a delicate balance, I agree. And that balance exists because when there's a part of our human nature that is in conflict with the spirit. That balance doesn't exist because we... We really, we are, things are not in balance. It exists because there is something that's trying to go against how God would have you think about yourself. So you have all these voices in the world. You have all these examples of people in the world who have done what you're doing. And you see how they've done it. And so you're thinking, that wouldn't be so bad to, you know, do a concert or do a party for me. You know, I just say, guys, come, let's celebrate this prophet. Let's honor the prophet. Doesn't sound so bad. Many prophets have done it. But that's in conflict with what you're reading in scripture. Okay? So when we feel sometimes that, ah, but I'm, I'm putting myself so low, people may forget that, you know, I'm actually good at, 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 at writing, or oh, I'm a very good poet, or oh, I'm, I'm a really good giver. I really need to remind guys that I'm the one who gave for all the windows. Guys may forget. Can they write my name? Have you been to those churches where they inscribe names? Let me share with you what John says. Now, John, the Bible speaks of John and says there is very few born among men that are greater than John the Baptist. That's how the Bible describes him as a person, John the Baptist. This is what John says in John chapter 3, verse 30. Depending on which version you're reading, John says he must increase, but I must decrease. Or he must become more known or become more important, I must become less. John gives us insight into a very, very important principle on humility. That you can never do yourself wrong by being humble. Listen, you can never say, hey, you're so humble, now you're missing out. Zero. Because nothing you have is your own making. It's been given to you by? So even if you humbled yourself to the floor, you've still not humbled yourself enough. There's still room underneath that floor. Because you are not responsible for having made yourself. You, there is no amount of glory where we say, so you need to give God 90% of the glory, that 10 is yours. You've really worked hard this year. Zero. 
We are already singing all the glory. I mean, you guys were here shouting every praise. You didn't say, almost all the praise, then some for us. You said every praise. And so if you ever find yourself when you think you're cutting yourself short, you think you're, you're not giving yourself some credit, take comfort that you don't deserve any. If you feel that you deserve some credit, that's just pride creeping in, saying, you know what, okay, we've, we've really glorified God this year. I mean, we're celebrating teen service at 10. Can God give us a Sunday where it's just us? Ah, that, that doesn't sound biblical at all. So it's, that conflict is there, and it's right, it's real. You will feel that pressure to want to give some credit to yourself. But we've just read, I mean, I guided you guys Philippians 2. Always put other people's interests before your own. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, wanting to exalt yourself. I hope that gives some clarity. The second question was from Zen. He was saying, I, I encouraged you not to go beyond the Bible, but when I was talking about gifts, I went into the Old Testament, so some people may come up with other gifts which are a bit contentious. Now, listen, someone comes to you and says, my spiritual gift is I'm a gamer. Ah! Where, where do you get that? I mean, okay, I come to you and say, you know what, you know, my spiritual gift is, I'm just smooth, man. What's that? How does being smooth help the body of Christ? Remember I asked you that at the beginning I said, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? One, that we may serve God better, especially by serving the body of so bring all the spiritual gifts you want. We'll test them. We'll say, okay, how does this help you obey God or serve him better? Two, we'll ask you, how does that benefit any single person? So you can come up with all manner of gifts. You can say, yeah, you know, my spiritual gift is a man influencer. Um, you know, I influence people for the, for the what? For the kingdom. We'll check. So you see, Zen, I hope I'm, 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 I'm clear on that, yeah? That I'm not saying everything someone claims is a spiritual gift. No, we will check because the Bible tells us to test. So even for your own self, don't just tell yourself funny stories. People are telling you, I think you have a spiritual gift. You're a destiny finder. Like, well, what's that? You find destinies? <laughs> check that Bible and see if there's anyone who has ever found the destiny of anyone other than God. It is God. It is God who numbers our days. It is him who knows every single path that he has called us to take. No one else. Right? I mean, not even yourself. The Bible says it is not in the heart of a man to direct his steps. Yeah. So for whatever gifts, you know, people out there may be coming up with, let's go back to the scripture. What does God word, God's word say? Uh, lastly, I think maybe to touch on what Esther and you asked. I'm not advocating for false humility. False humility is when you pretend to not, like, you know, yeah, guys, it's nothing. I mean, it's just one song. You know, ah, psh, guys, yeah, my heart, it's just like a simple number now. We, we do those all the time. That's false humility. You really want people to think you're not proud, but you keep sliding in cues of it. But, you know, I mean, it's nothing. But we did the windows, though. Yeah, it's nothing much. You know, it's, we always give. I mean, it's not the first church we've given to, but it's nothing. Don't, don't say anything. You know. So I'm not advocating for that. I'm not advocating for people to pretend that they don't know what God has given them the ability to do. I'm advocating for us to know it well, know it so well that we give all the glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word that comes to us clearly this morning. We thank you for reminding us about our need to be obedient to you, reminding us about your mercies that are the reason why we are here, why we have anything, because you reminded us in your word, Lord, that every good and perfect gift has come from you. Every ability that you give us, every strength, every skill, Lord, you have given us by your good spirit. I pray now, Lord, for all of these children as they continue to desire to serve you and to know you, that you make known to them those gifts, those abilities, those skills you've given them, that they may use them to serve you, they may use them to serve the body of Christ. That in doing those things in obedience to you, in being faithful, in being diligent, that they will bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we pray where we become proud and conceited, where we have selfish ambition, where we want to exalt ourselves. Lord, remind us, teach us to be humble. Teach us to ascribe 
and to return all glory, all honor, and praise to you. Help us, Lord, to find contentment and joy in knowing that we are only vessels. We are only instruments in your hands. That above all, it is you who works in us. It is you who works in us everything that is good and pleasing to you. I pray that in their pursuit for these gifts, in their desire for these spiritual gifts, Lord, give them strength, give them the ability to love you, to remain faithful to you. Even when we live in times such as this, in a world that is hostile, to the faith in a world that is hostile to humility, in a world that calls us to exalt ourselves and to love ourselves. Lord, teach us to love you and to love our neighbors more than we love ourselves. Teach us to always put other people's interests, especially those who are of the body of Christ, before our own. And as we do all of this, Lord, we pray that we continue to bring praise, honor, and glory to your name, that we continue to bring the knowledge of your son Jesus Christ, the saving knowledge of the gospel to many men and women who don't yet know you, that many will come into your kingdom. We pray all this believing and trusting in Jesus' name.